0: So let's get going. It's quite short today, so you don't need to worry. (laughs) Okay, so this is the final week 10 of um, our time looking at Jacob. We've been wrestling with him in a way, and uh, that's quite poignant for him because he's known as the one who wrestled with God. We've learnt about his parents, we learnt about his birth that was unusual. We learnt about the rivalry with his brother, his first love in his life, um, and we've learnt about him running too. And there'll be times when we have really disliked him, okay? Has anyone felt that, I don't like him? Anyone? few people. And there's been times when you've perhaps felt sorry for him. Or you've felt confused by his crazy actions. What on earth is he doing right now? And am wondering what you'd ask if you met him in heaven. I'd certainly want to know, did he honestly, honestly not know it was Leah? <laughs> anyway, you've got your own. So these last two chapters that we're going to look at this year, and we'll come back to Genesis again next year, so don't worry too much. Um, this is kind of the curtain closing on Jacob's life. It's sort of wrapping it all up together. We're going to next time go into a new chapter of God's sovereignty, looking at one of his sons. And the whole story rotates around his 11th son, Joseph. So we'll come back to that next year. But in these, these chapters, it's the conclusion It's the conclusion of of Jacob's round trip. Remember, he fled from home, and now he is coming home. He's done a complete circle, as it were. We can see it here if you want to have a little look at his journey. It's also a conclusion where Deborah, his mum's perhaps oldest friend and beloved nurse, dies, and where his love of his life sadly dies too. Rachel, who dies sadly in childbirth, having Jacob's 12th son, Benjamin. And um, so we've been together, we've, we've marveled at how God has worked in Jacob's life over the last 10 weeks. And last week we saw just this amazing ability of God to bring reconciliation not just between us and himself, but between us and others. We saw how Esau, his rivalous brother, who he stole from and tricked, comes towards him with 400 men. Jacob is absolutely terrified. He falls on his knees and cries out to God. You told me to come home to my relatives. And in chapter 33, we read these amazing words. The man who wanted to kill him, and this is what we see. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You sort of got this picture, haven't you, of two brothers. Imagine Jacob just weeping with sheer relief, probably, that he's alive. And Esau, something... Or someone has changed something in his heart between being home and coming to meet Jacob. And we know that that something is God. Massive bear hug time. And then, well, we're going to read on from um, chapter 33 and verse 16 just to see what happens next. So if you can find chapter thirty three, you're welcome, or you can just listen. I don't actually have this on the overhead. Chapter thirty three and verse sixteen. You've got Bible in front of you and it's page thirty seven. Say that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth, which means booth. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan, and he camped within sight of the city for a hundred pieces of silver he brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Israel. And at first glance, you can just hold it there, this looks great, doesn't it? Because the altar that he set up means El is the God of Israel or Mighty is the God of Israel. And Jacob's using that name that he's been given, Israel. He erects a massive altar, and it says in front of or in the face of, in, talk about in your face, this massive altar to the God of Israel being so mighty. It's a bit like Rob and I putting a massive banner out of our top bedroom window that says, Jesus is the God of the flukes. <laughs> we'll do that later, honey. That we good, um, or, or or more more quietly, maybe a fish badge on the end on the back of your car. But um, so it all looks good, doesn't it? Everything's worked out well. He's back in the land. He's settled. He's put up this massive altar. But something I think the story tells us is not quite right, and I'm going to look at two verses. The first one's chapter 32 and verse 13, and I do have that on the screen, or you can look it up. And this is Jacob talking to Leah and Rachel about going home and why they're going to leave their dad and their land. It says, this is what God said to me. I'm the God of Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Okay, so that's the explanation he gives. The second place I want you to look is 32 and verse 9. I've also got that on the screen. And this is Jacob prayer to God. Oh, it might be 35 actually. Then Jacob prayed, Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. So, looking at these two reasons that Jacob gives as to why he's gone home, firstly, go to your native land. He's done that. He's back there. Number two, go to your relatives. He's not done that. Number three, fulfill the vow. Well, what vow? Was there a vow? Yeah, there was a vow. Twenty-eight twenty. Then Jacob this is him at Bethel making the vow. He said if God be with me and and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. He's not there is he? Then the Lord will be my God and this stone in Bethel this stone not one outside Shechem this stone That I have set up as a pillar will be my God's house. Will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the vow that he made. To go to God's house and give him a tenth. Has he done that? No. Where is Jacob? Well, Jacob's gone back into the land and he has settled. He has set up a residency. He's made himself a nice detached property. He's got some outbuildings for the cows. He's got himself outside the Canaanite city of Shechem. There's a marketplace up in there. He can trade his sheep and his goats and every little bits of wealth that he's got. It's like a massive experience has happened to him. He's met with God. For once in his life, the crises are over. He's at peace with his brother. Relationships are good in his family. All the wives he's got are with him for once. We are going. We're leaving, Dad. We're going. Money troubles are gone. He didn't have a stitch when he left Esau. The family seems to have come together for the first time as one united being. But he hasn't done what he's supposed to do. And I just thinking how often we can forget what we're actually doing, why we're here we get similarly consumed. We have an amazing, perhaps, experience of God where he speaks to us, he re- defends us, he rescues us, he meets with us, and then we just seem to think, oh, thank goodness, oh, a bit of peace for once. Let me just settle here. And we can settle for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Or we can settle in other ways. We start being consumed by our houses. I wonder what extension I'd like to put on it. Or those curtains, I've had them quite a long time, I'd like to change them. There's lots of things that can get in and make us settle. But we're not too settle. This is not our home. This is never our home. We are not home. We are not settling. We are not finished. We need to keep pressing in to God. We need to seek him, to talk to him, to follow him. Instead of just thinking, oh, phew, I can get back to what I want to do. In chapter 34, if you were with us in the homework... Um, don't worry if you weren't but we looked at the horrendous crime where Jacob's only daughter or the only one we know of, Dina is raped by the people in Shechem by a particular leader's son it's horrendous to read and it's not something perhaps we, we don't want to go into it here and um, I just want to protect you if, if, that's, if that's upset you I'm sorry I just pray that God will give you peace right now But Jacob's sons become furious naturally and take it into their own hands and they massacre every man in that city. And this family where Jacob thought, oh, just relax, my family's finally back together, is an absolute turmoil again. It's like a massive bomb has gone off in this family. And Jacob once again is terrified that he's going to die. Because the first thing he thinks of is, if the locals hear of this, we're dead. What on earth have you done? And this is where God speaks to him. So this is where we're going to pick it up um, in chapter 35. Chapter 35 and verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel, go where I've told you to go and settle there, settle, dwell there in my presence. Not anywhere you like that you think might be helpful financially, dwell there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God wants us to settle, to dwell in his presence. This is our ultimate goal in life, to be with God. That's why he's rescued us. That's why he's drawn us. That's why he's called us, is to dwell in his presence. We should never be settling ever for anything other than that, to dwell in his presence. It's time to go back to God. God has chosen Jacob. He's called him. He's blessed him. He's protected him. And he is a holy God. And Jacob knows, I've got to sort my family out. So what does he do? Let's look. Chapter 35 in Genesis. got a leaf in here. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I'll build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings of their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Now he's getting ready to meet God. And don't get me wrong, God meets us in the scummiest places of our lives. He certainly met with Jacob, didn't he? When Jacob hadn't even given him a thought, when he was running, petrified from his brother, he didn't say, oh God, please help me, but God met him, he turned up for him. And that's how it is for us, isn't it? We're walking along one day, or we're doing something, and God is there. He meets us in the scummiest place, but we don't just come into his presence every day from then on going, oh, hi, Dad, nice to see you. Yeah, there's a couple of prostitutes I've brought with me today. Or whatever else it is that we're doing, we shouldn't be doing. We don't do that, do we? And so Jacob's getting ready to go. He's getting ready to go. They remove all the idols, probably from Shechem and also Rachel, you know, she was carrying a few as well, wasn't she? And they leave them in Shechem, this horrific place of evil and so much death. And now Israel, the people, are going to worship their God. And the terror of God falls over the people. They don't need to worry that they're going to get destroyed. The terror of God is with them. In verse 6 and 7, he builds an altar to worship. This time not to brag. Not as a kind of, uh, what would you call it, like a lucky rabbit's foot or something. This time he builds an altar to worship his God, to fulfill his vow, to thank God for the blessings and to meet with the one who's blessed. And you'll notice he changes the name slightly. Before he calls it Bethel, house of God. Now he calls it El Bethel. Just have a little look at that. El Bethel. It's like saying God of the house of God. It doesn't seem like much, does it? God of Bethel, Gethel, the house of Beth. But the difference is that this is no longer about a place, but it's about a person. This is him meeting with the God who has done all these things. And once again, God, Abraham's God, Isaac's God now, and our God, truly Israel's God, appears to him. Not in a dream, not in the dark, but in the cold light of day. Verse 9 and 10. Our God, despite all our failings and follies, our drifting, our unfailingness, refuses to call us by our old name. And what does he say? Verse 10. God said to him, your name is Jacob. But you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel come back to that and God said to him I am God Almighty El Shaddai be fruitful and increase in number a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you and I will give you this land to your descendants after you then God went up from him Says, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name is Israel. Now, one possible explanation of Israel is this God strives or God contends. I thought this was really interesting because remember what Jacob was like. He strived, he contended, he got into battles, he was sneaky. God is saying, your name is not that anymore. I strive, I contend, and you do nothing. (laughs) And I think we need to know that, don't we? God continually, we need to know it's not about us, it is about him. That is a great reminder for us and him. He says, I will make your community a nations. I will bring kins from your descendants and the land I give you. It's from me. I'm just going to finish today by summarizing. So what can we learn from Jacob's life? And as I read them, I want you to think, which one resonates with you? Which one did you look at and you thought, yeah, that's me, or, oh, I've experienced that. So let's go through them, and then we'll stop. Number one, God sets his affections on us out of pure grace. Before we even take a breath, we are his. In answer to the question why me the answer is why indeed Ephesians 2:8 reminds us for it's by grace that you have been saved so that none can boast and we learn that and see that in Jacob's life it is pure grace number 2 when we've come to the end of ourselves, when we've got nothing left, when we're lost, God reveals again who he is and tells us decisively who he is. When we're there going, oh, I'm rubbish, I'm useless, I always get it wrong, God says no. No you are chosen, you are redeemed, you are adopted into my family, you are a child of God, you are a son, you are a daughter. And we learn that in Ephesians. Some of us need to read that daily. God told uh, Jacob, no, you are Israel, I contend, you rest in me. Number three, We might fall away from God, even run off in the wrong direction, but God will call us back to him again and again and again. So if we think, how can I come back for this? Or a relative or a friend, how can they come back from this? God pursues and calls us continually back to our own Bethel's. Like a father waiting for us to return, he runs to meet us. Or the shepherd looking for the one sheep. He is searching. He will never, ever give up on us. Number four, we learn that God has amazing plans for us that are not dependent on us, they are dependent on his striving and his contending. Not ours. No matter how much we mess up, rebel, walk away, he has his way in our lives. When we think, how can God possibly weave this into good? He does. Philippians tells us, he that began a good work in us will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And finally, number five. We learn from Jacob's life. That our genuine words of faith and commitment, even when we are locked, we have, blah, even when we've long forgotten them, are not forgotten by our God. God did not forget Jacob's vow, and He does not forget ours. We may have asked Jesus to be our Saviour many years ago, and think, did that really count? If you meant it in your heart that day, it meant, it counted, it was a vow, and God has not forgotten you. Romans 10 tells us, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's all we're going to say. There are five things up there, and I want you to think, which one resonates with you? Of those five, which one could you testify to in your own life? Can you tick them all off and say, Yes, I know that God is my God. I have seen that, and he is faithful and good. If you can't tick them off, this is your opportunity to know him. You can ask him right now, Jesus, I want to know you. Please come into my life. Forgive me and change me. There is nothing stopping you from doing that. You come as you are to Jesus. Okay, let's pray.